Okay, you may open your eyes. <coughs> if you were sleeping, you can wake up. <laughs> okay, I'm going back to that text we were looking at last time. Uh, there were some, uh, there were some points. I think that I introduced you to, that I like to go back to, but there's some other stuff that I would like to go into. And if you can find yourself a copy of it, I would uh, suggest that you get a copy. There are many translations of it online. This is one from some website somewhere. And Art Engel uh, did a beautiful translation of it. And since I have this, <laughs> since you give this to me, <laughs> so it's already here, no need to bring the paper. <laughs> okay. And I have to say before I begin that you, how many of you were here last week? Most of, everyone? Everyone was here last week? No. No. Oh, okay. All right. For those of you who were here last week, I have to say I, uh, I'm very impressed that you actually returned. <laughs> if what I said last week didn't scare you and you're still coming back, and those of you who are here for the first time, I'm going to continue on something and I scare you. <laughs> Okay, we are talking about uh, what is really Mahayana motivation. And this is what is really Mahayana motivation, not for someone who knows nothing, of, not necessarily for someone who knows nothing about Mahayana motivation, but somebody who is already in the tradition and who believes that, ah, I'm Mahayanas, I'm, you know, I'm following the Tibetans, they're Mahayanas, so I'm following, following the... Uh, the different schools of Mahayana in China, Japan, North Korea, I think all of Korea, right? Well, no, in those places that call themselves Mahayana. Uh, so you think that oh, I'm Mahayana, I'm Mahayanist because I'm following them, okay? And, and then you, you start to hear about those incredible, beautiful realizations. I'll uh, mention some of them. Uh, something, when you become a fully enlightened Buddha, one of the things, one of the qualities that you acquire are called the ten powers. Okay. Like uh, the power to instant, manu instant magical emanation. You know, be able to be, go anywhere, wherever, at any time, however many. Okay. Without any limitations whatsoever, any obstruction whatsoever. The power which is a vehicle with every door. That means whatever sentient beings need to know to help them uh, evolve spiritually, you know it. And you know exactly how to, how to uh, walk every path. Okay? The power of excellent activity, that's sort of obvious, all-pervading love, I don't need to explain that. The power of constantly positive energy, passionless wisdom, da 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 da, da. Okay. So, you're, so things like that you hear about in the Mahayana tradition. <coughs> Not that in what is uh, the traditions which are not Mahayana don't necessarily recognize these as being the powers of the Buddha. But within the non-Mahayana traditions, what distinguishes them is not that they don't recognize that the Buddha has these qualities, but they, they, they don't think that uh, a follower of the Buddha 
is honoring the Buddha necessarily by wanting to become a Buddha themselves. Since the, since the Buddha's compassion wants us to come out of samsara, so the way to honor the, the wish of the Buddha is to just get out of samsara. Okay. So that's their main objective, just to get out of samsara. Not by trembling on other people's foot, not by trying to get out there first. Okay, you can't get to nirvana by trembling on anybody's foot. Okay? And the sense of love and compassion that is mentioned uh, is the basic for anyone in any uh, tradition. Okay? So, but when you hear that the Mahayana tradition is say, hey, you can do that too. You can also achieve those ten powers. You can also manifest them. And you hear about Buddha lands especially, where they are, where you're surrounded by uh, extremely incredible, highly advanced spiritual beings. Then we start to have, we start to aspire to those things. Uh, then we start to perhaps lose the reason why we would want to have to get those things. We, without knowing it, perhaps we start to uh, aspire to these things the same way you would want to possess anything. The same way you know you want to possess an iPad. <laughs> something for you to own, something for you to, to enjoy, okay? And that loses the, then, you, then without knowing, you start to lose the purpose of what makes somebody a Mahayana. Then you start to perhaps start to reason, start to think that what you're doing is wisdom. You start to reinterpret what does it mean to be in a world where there is only highly advanced spiritual beings around you. And one specific thing I think is our relation. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty. <laughs> nice job. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, how to relate to suffering. I think that is something that is of, of uh, yeah, I'll be superlative, I'll say, supreme concern for those, for, for those who are in the spiritual path. And what is it, how do you, what kind of relationship can you build, what kind of relationship are you supposed to have with suffering? then we start to have things that we think is wisdom. Or when we become fully enlightened, we become completely unaware of that. Or when we become enlightened, you know, some, some strange thing happens. Okay. But the king of prayers, by the way, what, uh, is considered to be sutra. That is, all those who are... Of, it's a body of literature. I'm just going to be as objective as possible, even if you're for the skeptics here. Uh, because it may not be. <laughs> as far as all the Mahayana uh, traditions are concerned, or still existing, they, ag they agree together that this is the word of the Buddha. That is, they consider it to be something that fulfills the aspiration and, and the intent of the Buddha. So therefore it is Sutra. Whether it is actually spoken word by word by the Buddha, who cares? That's my concern. The thing is, does it work? Okay. And that should be your attitude, by the way. 
so this is supposed to be considered to be the word of the Buddha. Okay, so that's what. Uh, so it's, it's not. It is to be distinguished from something that some somebody was after the Buddha was inspired and then you know said something or wrote something. Okay, that and 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 that would mean there are other Mahayanas who don't agree with it. And we already know that's why there are so many different Mayanist traditions. It's not that they, never mind, but they, they agree with, they disagree with uh, certain points. Okay? But this, the King of Prayers, wherever you are, whatever Mayana tradition you're following, you all agree with it. They all agree with it as being the word of the Buddha. So, you yourself personally may not agree with it, but. So, therefore, it is considered to be auth as authentic as possible, uh, conveying the uh, conveying the um, aspirations of Mahayana of a Mahayanas. Okay. There may be terms in there that need further explanation, but the way it is presented, it's open. It doesn't need to be reinterpreted. Okay. I'm not talking about ultimate interpretation between I'm talking about just okay. Alright, so let me go get into this. And and the reason I'm uh, bringing this up is because uh, the concern of my spiritual beings, us who are who have difficulty with what kind of relationship am I supposed to have with suffering? And in also in an ultimate sense, when I finally reach the end of, my, of, of the path, of my spiritual path, when I actually reach the goal, what will be my relationship with suffering then? Okay? And there are a lot of different ideas about what's supposed to happen. But here is the King of Prayers, and I said, every Mahayanist agrees that it, it's, it's the word of the Buddha, so I'm going to read the word of the Buddha that everybody agrees with. Okay? So I trapped everybody. <laughs> so, and I guess you sort of know what kind of uh, relationship I'm talking about as far as suffering is concerned. When you become a fully enlightened Buddha, do you still see suffering? Is seeing suffering a bad karma, the result of bad karma? Okay. So here's the answer right here in this King of Prayers that every Mayanist agrees <laughs> in the authentic word of the Buddha. So the King of Prayers is a Mahayanist making aspirations. Okay. So I'll read these two verses. Striving thus. So I'm starting with verse 19 in case you want to go home and look at it. Striving thus and in the transcending perfections, may I never forget the Bodhi-mind, that is, may I never forget Bodhicitta. And may I totally cleanse, may I totally cleanse from within my mind stream all negativities and mental veils. Okay, setting up the setting, setting it up, right? We all want to purify our bad karma, right? That's what we want to do, and and 
if it is true that to see suffering is a result of bad karma, so the next verse should say, and then I will no longer see suffering. Okay? So, this person, this aspiration is to be totally, remember here, totally cleansed from within my mind stream all negativities and mental veils. And what's going to be the result after completely removing every single negativity from my mind stream? I will gain freedom from karma, delusion, and karmic maras. And what are you going to do when you're free from karma, delusions, karmic maras? Maras are, I don't know, what's a good interpretation of mara? <laughs> Negative That's emotions. Negative emotions? Okay, well, let's keep it like that. Negative emotions. And what are you going to do when, when you're completely free of all negativities? When you're at that state of being completely free of all negativities? Should I say it again? <laughs> <coughs> to be able to live in the world. And here's the relationship with suffering. Unaffected by its stains. <coughs> like an unstained lotus grows in the mud and like the sun and moon shine without obstructing obstruction in the sky. Those are the two verses. And I read the, the verse that comes after this last Friday. And what are you going to do when you're in that state, completely free of all negativities? Your mind is now free, do you have no more bad karma? You want to be able to engage the world. And what, what are you going to do engaging in the world? Play soccer? <laughs> what are you going to do? For as long as there are Buddha fields and directions. For as long as there are Buddha fields and directions. May I strive to quell the misery of the lower realms. How are you going to quell the misery of the lower realm if you can't see it? <coughs> May I place all beings only in happiness. If they're already happy, why are you going to drag them to happiness? And bring them all only happiness and joy. So now, what does it mean? What kind of relationship are you supposed to have with suffering? You clean your mind so you don't have, so we don't have a dysfunctional relationship with suffering. When we see suffering, we're not dysfunctional. And it is the state of dysfunction that I think we are afraid of, and we should necessarily be afraid of it. <coughs> and that's why we make the aspiration, may I not see suffering. You're not really saying, may I not see suffering, if you're a Mahayanist. What you're really saying is, may I no longer have the dysfunctional relationship with suffering when I see it. When I see it, May I be able to have still my pure clarity of mind. May no mental afflictions come in my mind. May I deal with it the way that is beneficial. That's what it means. Okay. So that when you see somebody in the lower realms, after you become a Buddha, you don't freak out. You say, oh my God, what are these people doing here? This is my Buddha land. Why are, why, why are there hell beings in my Buddha land? <laughs> 
I want to know. <laughs> hey, my chair. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> Am I Buddha or what? <laughs> Do you see this? <laughs> Are these little realm beings? Who invited them? <laughs> well, I'm finished with it anyway. Oh, it's... Who did that? Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm not finished with it. Yeah, I'm finished with it. So if this doesn't scare you, or if you're scared, and you still think, I think it's a good thing to do. I would like to be able to, be able to do that. I would like to be, have the willingness to do that. Then you're on your way to be a, a real Mahayanas. But if instead what you're aspiring to is, may I no longer see anybody suffering. Because you can't, function normally when you see suffering and you think that you will never be able to function normally if you see suffering then you have the choice you have the right to choose that and unfortunately you're not a Mahayanis anymore you're seeking your own personal Nirvana because in your own personal Nirvana you definitely don't see any suffering even the, it is said that not even the thought of suffering comes to your mind. <coughs> and this state, not being able to see suffering, this is what, of all the th scary things in the universe, this is the scariest thing for a bodhisattva. That's why at the eighth bumi, when you're about to reach the eighth bumi, the bodhisattva starts making prayers. And what are prayers are they making? Oh, may my uh, body shine uh, with an aura that is three light years long, three light years wide. The prayers that they're making is that may I not, not see sentient beings suffering, who are suffering. May I not be blind to those who are suffering because they are about to enter a bliss that is incredibly powerful. And when you enter that bliss, not even the thought of suffering comes to your mind. And the Bodhisattva is completely terrified of that state. Because they will not be able to fulfill their true aspiration. To go into the world and help those who need to get out but while they're in the world, they will be unaffected by the stains of the world. Yes? But what is scary about that is that it feels that you are not sensitive anymore, that you don't feel anything anymore. What is scary about, oh, what is scary about that state? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're not sensitive to anyone, anyone. Yeah. But... Like it feels like not no, very alive. 
No, no, no. You, you being very alive, that sense of what you're calling as being alive, you feel it to the maximum. And you're blissed out. It's not that you're unconscious. It's not that you become like, a, like cold, like you're having a cold heart. What the Bodhisattva is terrified of is that the Bodhisattva will not be able to see anyone and be able to help anyone. Imagine, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's this thing that we all know of when you say somebody is oblivious. So the Bodhisattva is terrified of being oblivious. You know, like you, you, somebody can be completely into their world and they're walking around and they don't see anything. And there could be people dying, people are just suffering around and they don't see it. And you say that person is oblivious. You don't say, oh, there, there goes a highly, there goes a Buddha. Because if it is true that to be a Buddha is you don't see pain anymore, that person that you just, we just described was oblivious to other people's pain, that person is a highly, you should start going bowing to that person. That's a Buddha right there. That's not a Buddha. Okay. That would be a Buddha. <laughs> okay. But to be a Buddha is somebody who is intimately aware of the pains of others and is extremely troubled in a Buddha way, <laughs> not in a dysfunctional way, by others' suffering. And they want very much to bring an end to the suffering of others. Okay. Now, I have to say that the reason that perhaps those of us who are Mahayanas make the aspiration or believe that when I become a Buddha, is I will no longer see suffering, there won't, be, there won't be any more wars going on anywhere. All of a sudden the universe will become completely, uh, uh, the entire universe, the whole of existence will be just one happy place. And I think the reason for that is because right now when we see suffering, we experience, and it's because of your compassion. It's not because you're oblivious. It's because of your compassion. You feel right now within myself, I don't have the capacity to do anything about it in a real way. And this sense of, of powerlessness <coughs> distorts our Mahayana aspiration. And because it is painful, we think that, or we, we heard, or oh, any kind of pain is because of bad karma, or I must have bad karma, that's why I'm having this, this pain. And since this pain is seeing other people suffering, then seeing other people suffering must become from bad karma. That's the wrong uh, trend of thought that leads to that kind, of, that, that kind of conclusion. But actually, it comes from a sense of really experiencing, seeing, ah, that suffering over there, and I'm bothered by it, and I want to do something about it. And you look into yourself, you say, ah, I don't think I cannot do anything right now, and I can't stand the state of not being able to do something about it. And perhaps some of you even, even earlier in your life, seeing suffering and because you were so small, because you were felt so powerless, you wish, may I not see suffering. And it wasn't because you, don't want to, you wanted to be oblivious to other people's pain. You just couldn't deal with the powerlessness. And what is Buddhahood? Is having the power. Not losing the sight. That's why I say it's relating with suffering in a way where it's no longer dysfunctional. 
But it sounds to me that it's very disconnected. What's disconnected? Not, not to see suffering. Oh yeah, that would be com yeah, yeah, be completely disconnected. So some people wish for that because they can't stand seeing suffering, or they can't stand seeing themselves see suffering and not be able to do something about it. So they prefer to be disconnected. Is the problem really d disconnection, or, or that they worry that when they see something that would arise to us as suffering, to mm -hmm. an ordinary being, mm -hmm. that they see they'll see it as the emptiness of of the suffering, and they won't then focus on the suffering because they'll see, oh, that's I'm seeing the natural nirvana of it, so I no longer am attuned to the outer manifestation that, that the suffering that we feel, the suffering of suffering and the others. Mm. That sounds good. <laughs> but I think that's your knowing suffering, wanting to get away from it, speaking. No, the Buddha knows suffering better than you do, than we do. In whatever exactly way do they see it, the emptiness of it, the bliss of it, that's trying to get to exactly what, exactly what that is. Of course, they see the emptiness of it. Because they're Buddhas, they see the emptiness and the relative nature of things simultaneously. Right. I'm not trying to rationalize it in any way, shape, or form. It's mm. more like when they make that choice, is, is, there, is one of the choices that they'll, when they allow themselves to take the wrong choice, mm -hmm. is that how they get into that wrong choice? In other words, it just they're seeing it arise as something else, and, and they no longer see it as they no longer look at the appearances as something that they're connected to. This day is not the Buddhas. Th these are bodhisattvas that, that make the wrong choice, for example, or those who are never bodhisattvas who enter into nirvana. Yeah, that, that, that would be a, a very good case for, for like a fine, fine uh, tuning understanding of emptiness. Somewhere in their mind they're still clinging to, right. some, to, some, to some self-existence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be a good... Uh, Good uh, argument for that. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> um, yes. Isn't it true that um, before you become a Buddha, you directly perceive emptiness, and then you go into nirvana, and then from from after you directly perceive emptiness, you keep going up mm -hmm. higher from there mm -hmm. through the boomies. Yeah. But when you reach nirvana, at the point that you've reached nirvana, at that stage. Mm -hmm on your path, that you're not seeing suffering at that point, right? When you're in nirvana? Yeah, when you're in nirvana, you don't see suffering. So, someone who's on the path to becoming a Buddha then, reaches a stage of nirvana where they don't perceive suffering, and mm -hmm. then they keep going higher to a point where then they reopen themselves back up to it? Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah. And that point, <coughs> that's why that stage of, right before entering that point where they, they the Bodhisattva enters Nirvana. Mm. That's why they make their prayers. Huh. That's why their prayers are so strong. So, in, in other words, the Bodhisattva is praying, may I, know, may I not experience disconnection. That's so interesting. May I always be connected. Yeah. Uh, but how they can be connected if they are not seeing suffering? Because... That's true. You cannot... Be, if you're connected, you're going to see the suffering. Whoever's suffering, you're going to see it. Not the it's not the bodhisattvas who are disconnected. The bodhisattvas are the ones who want to continue to stay connected. It's the one who no longer wants to see suffering. That's the person who's actually, in a way, aspiring to be disconnected. Okay. It kind of reminds me of the um, 
war uh, talk that you had given a, a while back. Um, the potential to like end all war uh -huh. talk. <laughs> it was like maybe two years ago. Yeah. But that experience in that state of nirvana not permanently allows the Bodhisattva to see the potential of uh, no suffering so that it can be imparted on others. Like you have to be able to like see that it's possible in order to work towards it, including for others when yeah. you're yeah. out of you know, the safe disconnection. Exactly, know, exactly. So you can say there are two aspiring for no more war there can be two results where there is the, the experience, no more war. One where is that person disconnects. And because they don't get connect, they don't, they don't know what's going on, who's suffering, who's not suffering, who's in war, who's in war. So that one way of ending war, we achieve your personal nirvana. The other way of ending war, the Mahayana way of ending war, is somewhat expressed in this verse. Mm, I think I just read it. Oh, it? Oh, it's not this page. <laughs> yeah. May all living beings in the ten directions always abide in health and joy. May they live in accord with the way of Dharma. And may their very wish become fulfilled. When is that going to happen? Remember what I said last time? To be a Buddhist survivor, you have to believe in impossibilities. So the end, the, the Mahayana aspiration to see no more war is that eventually after being a Buddha, eventually after going to every single world, making connection with every single sentient being, they teach them, they teach them, and then no one has the aspiration for war anymore. When is that going to happen? If you aspire for it to happen in the next moment after, you've, after you get up from your meditation, then you're Hinayanas. If you're willing to continue to strive to work for millions and millions and millions of eons and millions and millions of eons, and even more than that, and then eventually there will be no more war. If that's your aspiration, then you're Mahayanas. But if you want the war to end tomorrow, so you can go out, go out in the street and you don't see anybody fighting anymore, then it seems wonderful, but you're a Hinayanist. You just want to be disconnected. That's nice, but I'm going to keep using that. Disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> and what you just said about after Nirvana, so See, after you reach Nirvana, that should be it, right? But you continue to progress, continue to progress, continue to progress. And why are you continuing to progress? So you can reconnect. You're, after being disconnected, you want to reconnect. And when you're completely connected in a way where you know a sentient being better than they know themselves, whatever pain they're going through, whatever aspiration they're going through, whatever... They're going to, you know it better than they do. And you're not 
dysfunctional because of that knowledge, then you are fully enlightened Buddha. Yes. How do you technically, once you reach Nirvana, get back to a place where you can see suffering again? If you're, if you've reached a place where you can't see suffering, no, you're free of that. Mm -hmm. How do you re-engage? You know, how does the Bodhisattva do that? Uh, because the Bodhisattva wants to be someone who has all knowledge, who sees all things that exist, not only a little bit that exists. Because I mean, if you can, if you can sort of, if you can sort of uh, take every knowledge that exists on the planet Earth right now, there's knowledge about wars, famines. You can just put them aside and just focus on the planet, on the on the knowledge about you know there are people. Mm, living nice with each other, there are flowers. You can also just focus on that. You can, you can decide to do that. So the, what the, the key that makes the Bodhisattva being able to continue is the force of their prayer, the force of their aspiration. So there's a danger though, if, if may, maybe say the, the prayer or the force of their prayer or the aspiration before they reach Nirvana isn't strong enough? They then they get stuck in Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds weird, right? <laughs> they get stuck in Nirvana. Completely disconnected. Then that's what? It's just that it sounds like um, you get stuck in an endless trip. Yeah. Like basically, you know, you are at a place where you're in, in such sort of, you know, uh, happiness and ecstasy that you have a hard time drawing yourself back out of that mm -hmm. to relate to humanity and the world around you. I mean, the idea would be to be able to have an understanding of, of all that's happening around you, yet not get drawn into the cycle of that suffering, rather being able to offer a hand or a guiding, you know, a guiding force mm -hmm. to bring others out of the cycle yeah. instead of getting stuck in it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and but this state is like higher than Buddha because in my no that is Buddha which which state are you referring to is higher than where Buddha? because what I understand is that Buddha just <coughs> overpass all the suffering and he would just in bliss and that's not like Buddha whoever told you that I don't know tell that person to come see me <laughs> <laughs> because I mean it's the conception I don't know what I hear or that's that I no, I'm very ignorant in that, but the idea that I have about mm. Buddha is that he overpassed many sufferings and, and, and he just is getting a state where he was just in bliss and perfect, but, but that's it. I mean, it was it, but it seems to me where you're explaining now that it's higher because these people or this state of mind wanted to come back and participate of whatever is going on in, in, in this level. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it seems that Buddha just get it, was happy, gone. That's not the Buddha, okay. by the way. Okay. The being that we are describing who continues to engage beings even though they're completely no longer affected, that's the Buddha. Okay. okay. But, I'm sorry, doesn't, yes. doesn't a Buddha only perceive other Buddhas? No. That would be uh, ego. What was that word? Narcissistic. 
being. But isn't the definition now that like when you reach Buddhahood, you're in a Buddha field, and then no, you have a Buddha field. You have a Buddha field, but but you're not. Uh, I mean, you're a limitless being now. You're stuck in in one world. But what about Buddha? Like they talk about Buddha paradises and yeah. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you can be in a Buddha paradise, surrounded by people that are still in your Buddha paradise that you're seeing is suffering, but you're not you're not seeing them as the holders of the suffering. You couldn't be, right? I mean, um, because it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Off, I'm getting off. Mm. No, you, this is this is the this is the this is what we sh what we are addressing. Yeah. Yeah. See, did you hear what she said was a Buddha? And who wants? And she. I bet you, did, you had some hesitation about becoming that being called Buddha, the way the way it was explained to you. Yeah, it it was like in kind of Hindu. I remember now, like in a kind of that Hindu philosophy and saying like. You know, probably was something I can Buddhism say. Yeah, like, like it was said, but but there is something else that is that when you have the possibility to achieve this state of mind, you have the mission to come back and help others. But it seems that Buddha just stayed in one level and he didn't the, he didn't go further. Oh that's yeah. What I yeah, that's uh a non-Buddhist explanation of what a yeah. Buddha is. Right. Right. Yeah, he was probably making his point about his philosophy, probably. Yeah. So that's definitely not a Buddha, according to the Buddhists, those who follow the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> the Buddha is someone who, having perfected them, their state, their state of being, continue to engage others to help them exactly come out of it the state of limitations and that being will continue to do so for as long as there are beings who are, who are still suffering. But limited. what made me curious about Buddhists is that why is just all about suffering and not about you know qualities <coughs> and good energy and, and good karma? Oh, it's about both. It's about both. The because you can connect to, you know, with anger or suffering or, or some kind of disease or whatever, mm -hmm. but you also can connect through love and joy and happiness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Buddha, Buddha it's, it's about both. The thing is, uh, you don't want your relating to suffering to be Hmm. to be a fantasy. You don't want to fantasize about what suffering is. You want to see it for what it is. And in the very first path of renunciation, you're focusing on suffering and the, the freedom from suffering. You're focusing on both. It's not that Buddhists uh, make a... Uh, uh, you know, focus only on suffering or, or, or emphasize suffering. There's no emphasis on suffering. Just that, for the, because of the nature of suffering, because of the nature of the experience of suffering, we want to get away from it. And when we're trying to get away from it, we find ourselves still stuck to it, 
So we start to fantasize about it, about its nature, so we can deal with, so we can so not deal with it. What's that word? Cope. Cope. Yeah. So we can cope with it. The thing is, open your eyes, see the world for what it is. Mm -hmm. And when you see the world for what it is, if it is come, if it is something that is arisen mainly from afflictions, it's suffering. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that every day everybody's under a truck. Yes? Could you say that if, uh, if Buddha was um, uh, like a Hinayana and stayed in uh, the state of Nirvana mm -hmm. instead of advancing those other steps, then we actually would have no idea how to, we wouldn't have received his teaching. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a nice point. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I did it. Okay, you guys take care of yourself. <laughs> that would have been that would have been it. Or there was it would have been in the history book. There was this guy who got skinny, <laughs> became became bones, and he went under a tree, and then we never heard from him anymore. <laughs> and that almost happened, right? Yeah. If Brahma had not uh, yeah chatted with him, yeah, he said, hey, come on. <laughs> that's an amazing distinction, though. That, I mean, yeah. that's kind of like yeah. the fact that Buddha really did teach the Mahayana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, connecting that to what you were saying earlier. If, let's imagine now, okay, the Buddha becomes fully enlightened Buddha. Mm -hmm. And because, let's take that as an if, now he opens his eyes and all he sees are Buddhas. He doesn't see suffering anymore. And he would say, oh man, I'm being tricked. <laughs> because I attained the state so I can help others, and now I can't see them. So we have to reinterpret what does it mean for Buddha to be in a Buddha, Buddha paradise? What does it mean to see suffering? We have to reinterpret those. Come out of Nirvana, and then, then you go looking for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And now because you say, now I'm ready. Now I can deal with you. She go looking for. Yeah, I can deal with you now. Where are you? Come on. I'll take you on. <laughs> suffering, the source of suffering. I got the cure for you. Okay. And, and could I, that would be a great deception. Spend three countless eons to achieve a state where you can help others, and as soon as you achieve it, you can't see those people that you're trying to help, no matter how you look, you, you look because the state prevents you from seeing suffering. <coughs> it was just a test. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like all the prayers say, "May I become a Buddha so I can then." Liberate all Liberate. beings. Yeah. Now, can you imagine <laughs> what's going on? Okay, you become a Buddha, and you look around, and you see me, and you see another Buddha. I'm not enlightened, and you see another Buddha. Who's? So, and I'm suffering, and the Buddha is looking at me, and he says, "He's another Buddha." And then he says, "Remember, I remember that guy was suffering. I don't think he was a rich Buddha already, because I was way ahead of him." <laughs> <laughs> So the Buddha 
state of omission is a confusing, 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 confusing state. It's a state where, I would, what would you call that? Some sort of schizophrenia or something? Oh my God, I keep seeing Buddhas, but they're not real Buddhas. I don't know which one is real Buddha or not real Buddha, because some of them are suffering because they couldn't reach all, reach Buddha all, all at once. Which one is a real Buddha? I'm confused. I'm supposed to be the Buddha. I know everything. But I don't know everything. <laughs> some of them, they all look like Buddhas. Which one is really suffering? And then the explanation is, giving, is given. Uh, they look into your mind and they see that you're suffering. If that's the real case, then that's, the, that's, that's, the seeing of, that's still seeing suffering. If the suffering that the Buddha sees that explains it is that what they really see is some, they look into your mind and say, oh, he looks like a Buddha, but he thinks he's not a Buddha. Mm. That would confuse the Buddha even more. <laughs> Why does that Buddha think he's not a Buddha? <laughs> What's the matter with that Buddha? I mean, being a Buddha is knowing everything, and the primary, most intimate thing, he doesn't know. He doesn't know himself. He doesn't know that he's a Buddha. <laughs> That's the craziest Buddha I've ever seen. <laughs> a Buddha doesn't know the first thing that he's a Buddha. Okay. I mean, if I was if I was that kind of Buddha, I would I would run back. <laughs> the world would be a very scary place. Look, or Buddha, look in their mind. Wait a minute. He doesn't think he's a Buddha, but he looks like a Buddha. He's functioning as a Buddha, but he doesn't think he's a Buddha. What's going on? The Irish Buddhahood? <laughs> oh, well, it's late. So we can't go into the... What possible way of interpreting one's own, a Buddha achieving Buddha feel, a Buddha paradise, a Buddha land? What does that mean? What's a Buddha land anyway? Hmm. Everywhere the Buddha goes, that's his Buddha land. Comes into my neighborhood. All this is a palaces and say, oh, nobody is poor. <laughs> I don't have to have it. I don't have to practice giving over there. They already got everything. Oh, he's a Buddha already. I don't have to help him on the path. <laughs> Bumping each other. Are you a Buddha? <laughs> Okay, will the real Buddhas please raise their hands? <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> As we're on the path, like our purpose is like, I mean, isn't it like we develop we develop these relationships with like people, and we see that because of the intimacy of karma between external and, and internal objects, like, mm -hmm. we have these particular thoughts that arise and. We, we do these particular actions, we create a negative karma mm -hmm. and then, you know, we see it pop up in our world and we start to feel those relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And then as we start to practice, we practice more and more and we start to clean our perception of our reality, mm -hmm. which kind of in definition is that our reality becomes cleaner. Cleaner. Cleaner, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm... And people become cleaner and cleaner because there is no holder 
there is no holder of suffering mm -hmm. ultimately. Mm -hmm. right? Yes, yeah, true. So I'm confused. Like I, I, I understand. I, I like I see the aspiration and everything, but I, I don't understand. Like I, the I, same way because like no if, if we go into mm -hmm. three-year retreat yeah. and and. In that three-year retreat, we purify our mind and mm -hmm. completely purify our perceptions, mm -hmm. and and you know everything is purified. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand how, like I I don't I don't get it. <laughs> I don't see how you could still see, you know, like you wouldn't see. How would you see poor people, by definition, needing something if you had spent all that time purifying? the karmas that give rise to those projections in the first place. No, seeing poor people is not... <coughs> if they are poor, you're seeing right. But if they're Donald Trump and you think they're poor, okay, you can say, oh, that's relative. <laughs> <laughs> right. But if Donald Trump completely believes he's poor because, I don't know, he wants to buy a planet and he doesn't have the money for it, and he considered that, that I'm poor because of that. Then you could say, oh, okay, I understand his poverty. I can, let me see if I can help him. But you see his condition. You see that he wants to get that planet. He doesn't have the, the means of getting it. You don't see that he already owns the planet. A Buddha sees things as they are. If you're in need of it, he sees that you're in need of it. If you don't need it, he sees that you don't need it. Seeing that you need it is not an, it's not an impure perception. Mm. Let me read that one more time. It's and may I totally cleanse from within my mind stream all negativities and mental veils. Why? To be able to live in a world unaffected by its stains. Okay, you could have, if, if they removed the word stains in there, you could have said, oh, okay. Yeah, he's still living in the world, but... He doesn't say what kind of a world he's living in. It's a world that has stains, but he's not affected by them. So I, think, I think maybe the thing that's a little hard to take is that it seems that the Mahayana is implying mm -hmm. that we're not, there's not this ultimate place of non-suffering. Of non that, that we're, to, to be an enlightened being is to continue to engage with suffering. Mm -hmm. And that is without being, you know, taking it as a fixed thing or being overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Hinayanas believe that you ultimately just get to a place of non-suffering, and that's the goal, that's the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably most of us on some level still were working on that perception, that, uh, you know, that, that algorithm or whatever that... Mm -hmm. We do eventually, I mean, it seems like we're, the way we're cleaning our, purifying ourselves and whatever, it seems like the, that formula will create this, you know, Buddha field or whatever uh -huh. you call it, non-suffering. Mm -hmm. So then it, it seems hard to reconcile that progression with then taking another step and saying, no, but the suffering is always going to be there. We always have to engage in, and that's what true Buddha mm. is. Now, see, the suffering that you're referring to is not that I will continue to suffer. Mm. Right. To perceive suffering and to suffer are two different things, mm. completely two different phenomena. Mm. 
it's exactly like that example of somebody who's oblivious to things and walking in, in a poor neighborhood and, and not being aware of anybody needing anything. So that would be like somebody achieving their own personal nirvana. They just shut their mind to perceiving certain phenomena. So if you're in deep sleep and a robber came and robbed you and you wake up, did the robber come and rob you? No. no? You still have those things? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't see the robber robbing you, but better believe it, you were robbed. <laughs> okay. But isn't that why it ultimately comes back to your motivation, and that's why you have to be so clear on whether your motivation is really to help authentic beings, or if your motivation is to not see or experience something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this now is way past. The reason I'm talking about this is because we are already in Mahayana, so we, there's, there's, it's already taken for granted we are aspiring to this incredible result called Buddhahood. And we can, uh, this is where in the eighth, uh, uh, what's it called? It's a Lojong. Uh, training. Uh, it's a precept in the Lolo Jung training where it, where it says, be careful of turning uh, angels into demons. So there's this incredible result called Buddhahood and you're aspiring after it. And because of the motivation of the way you're aspiring after it, you're actually turning it into a demon. You think you're a Mahayanist, but you're really a real Hinayanist at the heart. The only reason that you want Buddhahood is because you want to be able to wear those clothes. Not because you're going to be able to help sentient beings in that state. Now, you got to get back to... <laughs> uh, In the same way you saw the ultimate nature of the being who is suffering, you have to look at the suffering also. There are no holders of the suffering, but there's no suffering to be held. That's why, this is Vajrachidika, that's why there are beings who are suffering. Because there are no beings and there's no suffering. <laughs> okay. All right. That was quite lively. <laughs> so, for the five seconds you have, <laughs> just, just one yes. more thought. Uh, would you? The, we would, I would be honored, maybe the rest of us would, if you would teach a few of the passages from the Diamond uh, Adamantine Cutter <laughs> Sutra. Because um, I was just reading exactly the same passage you just referred to mm -hmm. now. And it's a very inconceivable kind of passage that perhaps deserves it, and, and perhaps it relates to this discussion we were having. Mm -hmm. yeah. About that there, are, there, is no, there is no suffering, there are many things that are not suffering. Uh, 
people say that is suffering, and that's why it's called suffering, in spite of the fact that there's no suffering, no sufferer, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll think about that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're going to do a little five minutes meditation where you just review. And if, sorry if I get you late, and if you have to leave right away, you can sneak out. And uh, my suggestion as a meditation are you a Mahayanist? Not do you want to be a Mahayanist, but are you right now a Mahayanist? And be real. That way you can say, okay, this is where I'm lacking, and this is where I have strength, this is where I need to build up so I can be a real Mahayanist. Does this absolutely scare you that you will continue, even when you're fully enlightened Buddha, to have to relate with this thing called suffering? To have, you continue to have a relationship with it. And it's not a sin not to be a Buddha. That's what makes the Buddha so incredible. You don't have to be a Buddha. Try not to forget anything. Just remember the state you were experiencing before the talk. And just try to remember it as vividly as you can. And then when the memory becomes vivid enough and you start to experience the state itself, stabilize it by observing five cycles of breath and within that state of ease, that state of where the sense of inner body is stronger than outer body, review or re-examine, are you presently a Mahayanist?
attention to just the state, the state of your mind, the degree of clarity, the degree of ease. Notice what's absence, absent in this state. There's no striving. There's no conflict. There might even be a willingness to see things as they are. So you don't react to things with afflictions. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone could experience this state? So they no longer would have to strive in actions motivated by afflictions. How much do you love them? To the point where you're willing to give away this wonderful state to them? generosity, give away your own realizations, or have the willingness to give it. Connect with sentient beings and give them this wonderful state. afflicted with the fever of anger. So they can become free of that fever. Again, look at your ultimate goal. Look at the goals that you need to get you close to it and dedicate the power of this meditation to it. Okay, bring your attention back to your breath. Feel the breath and add to this physical feeling using the breath. Regain the physical feeling of the outer body again. Do it slowly, starting with the top of your head, and continue until you're aware of the outer body from the top of your head the soles of your feet. 
if you find yourself moving in and out again, don't rush. Just keep focusing on the breath, the physical fi feeling of it, and the physical <coughs> sensation of the outer body. before you end and get up, whatever determination, conclusion you came up with during this meditation, hope that it will carry you out, carry you throughout this, throughout this evening and continue to the experience and inform your behavior from now on. Thank you.